Welcome to Conversations, a podcast featuring conversations about life, theology, scripture, church, and everything in between. Hosted by Genesis Church in Mexico, Missouri. Find out more at www.genesisbegins.com. Welcome to another uh episode of Conversations with Genesis Church, and uh, today we are going to do part three of a series on anxiety and crisis events, and this will conclude this series on anxiety and crisis events. And uh, and by the way, uh, if this is your first time listening, I'm Jeff Stott. I'm the pastor at Genesis Church in Mexico, Missouri, and I am with Billy Johnson, and he is a public safety officer who is both a police officer and firefighter uh, here in our town. And uh, he's also an elder at our church. He's married, got a couple of kids, one in high school and uh, the other in college. And I'm married too. And I got six kids, uh, ages three uh, to 31. So uh, I'll let you figure that out on your own if you don't already know. All right. So, uh, well, welcome back, Billy, to part three of this thing. Well, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> and, sounded oh, really official there didn't yes it? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and most people don't know that billy and i when we do these things we have a hard time getting started because we'll spend we just spent 45 minutes just shooting the breeze before we even got started and so uh and we're busy people it's not like that we said hey we got 45 minutes let's, let's just kill time but uh well uh, you're a busy person yeah. I, I don't have a lot going on. So uh, uh, well, okay. you know, it just, right. it's just it's perfect for me. Okay. Yeah. Well. All right. So uh and if if uh, for the listeners, if you don't know already, uh I do have a uh, blog site. It's called truthappliedjs.com. Not everything that we talk about on the podcast, but some of the stuff that we talk about is is uh somewhere in that uh on that blog site. And again, it's truthappliedjs.com. Primarily that blog site is really a commentary. Uh, where like right now I'm preaching through the gospel of Mark and I just put my commentary up there uh, verse by verse. And so if that's something that interests you, uh, you can check it out. And if you like it, uh, you can share it. All right. So let's review a little bit. Okay. So uh, in part one of this series, we talked about what a crisis event is and simply put, it's a major disruption or breakdown in a, in a, in a person's life or the family's life, uh, that is abnormally disruptive and it, it, it disrupts the normal functioning of, of your routine, your life. And it's like, what I say, it's just a game changer. Things change, things stop, you know, reevaluation happens, you know, uh, what do we do now type questions, how we're going to handle this, you know? So, uh, and a crisis cannot be resolved by a person's customary problem, um, in any normal fashion, you know, and this crisis events, then when a crisis event hits, then it will also turn into a crisis season where there's this domino effect that now you've got to make some adjustments over the next few weeks, few months. And in some cases, maybe even, uh, maybe even years. And so, um, in part two, I spent about half the time sharing about my crisis event and crisis season that I'm currently in, uh, and, 
which is, you know, we adopted two kids. We, you know, Pam was diagnosed with leukemia. You know, I have a mother-in-law living with me. I got my brother-in-law uh, temporarily living with me. I have, uh, we also had Pam's dad, um, uh, living with his own hospice and, uh, you know, and so he died a month before Pam was diagnosed with leukemia. So, but the crisis event for us was really Pam's diagnosis with, uh, leukemia. So, but last, uh, at the last, uh, episode part two, uh, I dived into all the crisis season that, uh, I've been going through for the last, uh, five years. And I didn't share any of that for pity or anything. I'm just sharing that because it's my story and, and you have your own story and, and I'm just using me as an object lesson or as an illustration, um, of some things. And, um, and I was reluctant to do that, but I'm glad I did. Um, you know, because I, I think people have difficulty being transparent and authentic about personal things. And so today what we're going to do is we are going to uh, sort of pick up where we left off and uh, just talking about some observations about uh, at least what I've learned, some things I did right, some things I didn't do right, you know, and uh, just some principles that I think every one of us needs to consider when we're going through a crisis or when a crisis event hits. And so last time I started talking about uh, this thing called counsel before the crisis, and this is one of the lessons that I saw happening in my life. And, and what I meant by that was that God prepares you before the crisis hits. Now he's still going to work on you during the crisis. Okay. You're going to learn a lot of stuff going through that crisis. Uh, but God began to prepare me in significant ways uh, for when the crisis hit. And, and so it didn't, I didn't get completely blindsided, but um you know, I got the wind knocked out of me, but I didn't get knocked. I didn't get knocked down and knocked out. And, and that's important. Okay. So by the way, Bill, have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Oh uh, yeah. Once or twice. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a very fun experience at all. It all, it almost feels like, you know, so first of all, the wind is gone for an eternity. You feel like you're <laughs> never going to breathe ever again. It's just a real hopeless feeling. Yeah. I've had it happen to me a couple of times. Uh, both because of some uh, unreasonable decisions I was making at the time that caused me to fall, and also uh, during some uh, encounters with young folks on the playground, you know, fighting and stuff like that. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had the uh, the wind knocked out of me a couple of times. I remember the first time I had the wind knocked out of me, and yeah. um, it uh, I didn't know what was going on. I think I was about <laughs> fourth grade. And it was a backyard football game kind of thing, family backyard. Yes, Had one of my cousins. Man, his knee went right into my gut, you know. <laughs> and uh, we were, oh, by the way, we weren't playing flight. We were playing tackle football, okay. So, sure. but, you know, even as little kids, that's that's vicious. So, anyway, and, uh, man, uh, it was like I was suffocating. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> it's yes. a tough thing. Well, sometimes that happens when a crisis hits, you feel like you got the wind knocked out of you, but it's so temporary. I mean, bam, you know what I'm saying? And you just, you just get back at it. So, all right. So, but last time we got into the whole council before the crisis, how God prepares you, um, for what's about to happen and you, you need to listen. So here's, here's the point for that council before a crisis. And again, you can go back and listen to it is, uh, whatever God is teaching you right now, if you're not in a crisis, Pay close attention to what he's saying to you now, because you're going to need it later. 
Okay. And, and now some of that you will need it for somebody. It's will be God's teaching you something just for your own personal growth and you're passing on. But there are some things that God is saying to you and they sort of keep showing up the same subject for some reason, or you have this interest in it and, and, uh, and, and God is trying to prepare you mentally and emotionally for it. So, all right, that's the council before the crisis. All right. So here's some new stuff for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, if you hear me pause every now and then it's because I'm having video problems and it's very distracting to me. And so, uh, uh, but we're, we'll get through it. All right. So, all right, here we go. Okay. So what, what, what did I learn? Um, or what did I observe God doing through my, my crisis? Okay. God prepares people to support you when you are in a crisis season. Okay. Now let me explain this. When you're in a crisis, there are people that are around you that God has specifically and uniquely designed to be the right people at the right time for you. Now, this is humbling because when you make it personal here, here's what this sounds like when, when I make it personal, when the crisis event hit, God had brought certain people into my life before the crisis that I built, that he allowed me to build relationships with that were uniquely designed to help me and my family. And it was part of God's plan. Okay. Now, now Ephesians two ten says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, there are some there are some people in your life right now that God has saved. They've grown spiritually, and he has prepared them to do good things way before the crisis ever hit. And part of those good things is to bless and minister to you. All right. So for me, that looks huge. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking right now, okay. All right. So Billy, all right. So one of those people, Ephesians 2, 10, uh, that I'm convinced that God made a masterpiece and was, uh, created for a specific purpose, uh, and not the only purpose, but for a specific purpose was your wife. For, for me and my family. All right. So for those who don't know, uh, uh, Billy is married to Latasha. And uh, Latasha is uh, one of the primary babysitters, child care people that has stepped in and helped throughout, I don't know, the last eight, nine months. And 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 I, I she has probably watched my kids, I don't know. 50 times. I have no idea. It has been a lot. And I want to, and, and out of all those times that she has watched, I, I would contact her and say, Hey, can you watch the girls? You know, I've got a meeting or I got to do this or whatever. And she has, uh, said no one time because she had something to do with her own kids because she has a family. Okay. Billy, you are aware that your wife has a family, right? Yes. I am part of, <laughs> 
I am very clearly part of her responsibilities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, uh, and she even took a whole day off uh, to watch uh, my girls. I mean, to, because I had some stuff to do. So anyway, uh, so to me, I look at Ephesians 2, 10 and, 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 you know, where it says, you know, that he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. See, I would tell Latasha, I said, Latasha, one of the things that the, one of the good things that God prepared you to do was to watch these two little girls and to bless the stock family. Okay. So here's the thing. What I'm saying is, is that when people like that are in your life and they want to help, you know, it's for us type a personalities, the you know, people who want to get it done, who are, you know, try to be self-sufficient and no, I don't need any help. You know, no, let them help you. Let them bless you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, another one is Brenda Cawthorn. Okay. She has, okay. So because, all right. So Pam, you know, like I said, last, uh, in the last podcast, Pam was in St. Louis right now. She's at the Hope Lodge, you know, and so for a month, she was at the bone marrow transplant clinic. And now she's at the Hope Lodge. It's a run by the American Cancer Society. So she's been living there for, I don't know, another, what month and a half, two months. I, I don't, she's been there a while, several weeks. And so she's got several more weeks to go. So anyway, Brenda Cawthorn, um, uh, stepped up and she has been with her at the Hope Lodge ever since she's moved in. You know, and now her tour of duty, if you will, is about to end. And our son Zeke, he's going to step in for a week. But uh, so what I'm saying is that Brenda, so Brenda is doing a great job. And and one of the good things that God prepared Brenda to do was to help and minister to and be a caregiver uh, for Pam Stott. All right. So, and I'm telling you, I can go through people like who, like, uh, I'm just going to rattle off some names and I can't, can't, I don't have time to explain every, you know, like Lexi, she's helped out Libby, Mary, Ava, you know, I mean, all, all in on it goes. I mean, God has prepared uh, people to step into this role and to support you during the crisis. And so now, and then there's something else. Uh, so uh, part of a discipleship group started about, about a year ago ended last week. Was it last week, Billy, that we, uh, the, did we finish it? Was it or two yeah, weeks ago? I, I think it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's about a year long process. Uh, and that could be another podcast talking about discipleship groups. But anyway, um, uh, where me and three other guys, we got into a discipleship group, went for about a year and go through certain material. And then, you know, we, uh, when it comes to an end, our, the goal is to every one of us start our own discipleship group and just keep the, the, ball rolling that way. So, but the discipleship group, we're all going through that. Well, this all happened in the middle of the discipleship group. And so I had these guys I'd met with about every seven, 10 days and, you know, and they were checking up on me and the support and encouragement that came from that. God was, you know, I, mean, I look forward to that stuff because it, it, you know, uh, it was a blessing to me, got to hear their struggles. I got to hear mine. And so, I mean, there was always, there was already that network there and God had prepared that group, uh, to support me through the process. And then there were some people who couldn't help physically, but they could help financially. And, and, uh, I never asked for any money and I still don't, and, uh, and I won't, but, uh, I, I will say this, that there are some people who they, man, they just started writing checks. And I, I mean, I don't know if y'all know this, but man, bone trials, <laughs> bone marrow transplants, even with insurance, 
it ain't cheap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, they, they proud of them stem cells. I want to tell you, you know what I'm saying? And so, <laughs> you can't but, buy those on eBay. No, you know, I, I looked up on Amazon, see if I could buy some used ones, but no, I couldn't find any either. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, or, or Facebook marketplace couldn't find them. There right. <laughs> yeah. No. So anyway, um, yeah. Uh, and, but people have blessed us, uh, just financially and, and, you know, and I'm humbled by all that. And, uh, because, you know, there's a, somebody asked me the other day about my finances and I, you know, and I gave them an honest answer, but, uh, you know, and I was explaining to them about the domino effect. I mean, when this happens, you know, we didn't have childcare. Now we do, you know, I didn't have to pay for babysitting to have meetings, but now I do, you know, that kind of thing. I say pay some of them I pay for some are free, but, um, you know, then you got the travel expenses. You just got all this, stuff that comes with this kind of a change and uh and those who've been through it you, you get it you understand it you know um and emotionally i found uh god had prepared people there are some people who are just they have the gift of encouragement and they just i don't know, they just know they just know the right things to say and um you know so people were there emotionally whether it was through a verbal conversation billy you're one of them that you know, your your I think your gift is encouragement. I think your spiritual gift is encouragement. You just I've seen your life group, seen your discipleship group, seen your other settings, and you just I mean, you encourage people without even knowing it. You know what I'm saying? It's just kind of who you are. And I so that. yeah, that's right. You better appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and and for you know, for me on this on this topic, I can't help but think. So several years ago, uh you know, I had a crisis event happen in my personal life. I had a nephew who died. He drowned. And and I'll never forget. And, and I, I, I will remember this until the day I died. So prior to me going to church, prior to me really being involved in church and, and all those things, I never could quite understand this dynamic of church family. And, and you know, so I, I would always look uh, at churches, organized religion, and I'm using air quotes there, but I... I would always look at that as uh, I always felt like when I was younger that people were pretending, you know, and that they didn't really care and they didn't really know one another or anything like that. But I will say this. So I started going to Genesis church back when it kind of opened and, and, you know, back in its, you know, early days. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that God was placing genuine people in my life and softening my heart to those people. So when the crisis of my nephew who was five at the time dying. Um, you know, I reached out to you, Jeff, and there were so many people within the church that came to support emotionally and do all those things. And I just can't help but think that, you know, God was preparing people in my life to help support me and my family through that. And I I've never seen an outpouring or a warmth, uh, like that ever before in my life. And so I, I am a huge believer that, uh, you know, that God does prepare and place people in our lives to help support us when we really need them. Yeah. I don't know how people get through this. I don't either. Without a church, without a healthy church family. I don't either. Jeff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, cause I've, I've got some good family members and some of them are helping and you know what I'm saying? But I was thinking if I were to remove the church out of the equation mm. and it's just family, Okay, this would be a lot more stressful because I don't have enough family. Most of them, you know, live eight hours away or more. 
You know what I'm saying? So anyway, uh, yeah. So, I mean, God was doing, I mean, I'm seeing God's hand in all of this, all the supports, you know, and again, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that God is going to provide, he's going to have people that he, that he is uniquely equipping. That's going to be perfect to support you and to help you and encourage you through your crisis. And so be open to that. And, And I mean, there are people who can't do anything I've just said, but they have told me that they are praying for me and Pam and the girls. Now I believe they're praying. Now I realize some people say that they say that because it's the thing to say, but there are some people who say that and they actually mean it. Okay. I am praying for you, you know, and we're on their prayer list. And I just thank God for that. And, and I sense that. Uh, And there are some people who provided things physically like food, you know what I'm saying? And uh, childcare would be a physical thing, but I already mentioned that, but you understand what I'm saying? Oh, some people have even offered like to mow my yard, clean the house. I mean, just on and on it goes, you know? And so, so with all I said, I, I want to read Ephesians chapter two, verse seven. It says, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. Okay, this um, uh, uh, this blew my mind when I was thinking about it in the context of my crisis. I'm convinced that one of the ways that God uses crisis, and sometimes he may cause them for this purpose, so he can have a platform to display his grace and kindness in the midst of that crisis. Because here's the deal. When we're on the mountaintop and everything's going good, we don't really need God. Sometimes it's hard to see him. We got it all under control, man. Everything's good. Uh, but when things when things fall apart, well, God's going to step in, and now all of a sudden we're going to be able to see his grace and his kindness. And I want to tell you, I have, I see God's kindness through all these people who have said here, you know, we're praying for you. Let's help you with the child care. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's do this for you. Let's do that for you. Caregiver stepping in there, spending time with Pam, you know, 24 seven and on and just on and on it goes. And I've just seen God's hand and his kindness and his grace through all of this. And it is humbling that he would do that for me, Pam and the two little girls. Well, and not only that he would do that, but it seems like, it seems like when God does those things, it's not just a little, it's almost as though the floodgates open, Yeah, you know, yeah. and his kindness and goodness just floods in, you know, and, and I think it's really important uh, in these times of crisis to stop for just a moment and be looking for those things, because it is so easy to just look at all of the, the bad, you know, that is going on. But if we take the time, and we, we, we let things quiet down for just a moment. We take the time. We could see that the floodgates open. You know, his goodness, his kindness, his love just flows with such volume. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. It's very overwhelming, to be honest. It is overwhelming. And but, you know, now that I'm experiencing it, um, I, I would not want anybody to go through, you know, in personally having leukemia and I, I, and if they're married, I don't want their spouse to have to watch their spouse go through leukemia, especially if you got, uh, a couple of little kids, you know, and, uh, uh, cause I mean, 
there's a, a lot of things that go in your mouth that, and we'll get into some of that here in a moment. But uh, by the way, just uh, just on a lighter note here. Okay, so every now and then I get asked about the creaking noise that people hear. You know, like it's this creaking noise. And uh, how did that go again, Jeff? Yeah, that's like a mouse. I don't know. Anyway, okay, (laughs) I'm not a sound technician here on my with my own boy. All right, so uh, it it's uh, uh, no, it's not my bones, it's not my joints, it's my chair. And I keep saying I've got to get a new chair because the thing is loud. And uh, so anyway, and so if you listen to the podcast, you hear this. That means I'm I'm a fidgeter, so I move around a lot. And so that's what you're hearing is that creaking noise. Anyway, I, just, I felt like I needed to say that because the creaking noise of the chair was bothering me. And so once I say it, I can move on from it. Well, I'm glad you shared that, Jeff. <laughs> okay, yeah, because it's really important to what we're talking about. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Okay, so uh, now, thinking through the crisis events and crisis seasons, another lesson that I'm learning and I've learned in learning um, is – is is some lessons about growth during a crisis. Uh, God wants to use the crisis in our lives to mature us. Now, um, okay, I'm a pastor. I preach. I teach. Uh, I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. So I, I teach on Sunday morning. Uh, I have a life group. We talk. We you know talk about the Bible and in a discipleship group where we talk about specific stuff for us as men and, um, and making disciples. And so, uh, used to teach at a Bible college in Alabama years ago. And so, uh, did a bunch of other stuff. And so, uh, I, I love, I love teaching. I love getting together, reading and stuff, but I want to tell you, uh, you can grow by doing that, but the, you have to take what you learn in the classroom, if you will, in your quiet time, you know, at church, you know, in that Bible study, life group, subship group, you have to take that classroom information and you have to be placed into a lab. And that lab is called life. Okay. Uh, now, before I get into this, I was in seminary and I was uh, going to class in St. Louis, actually. Um, and the, the professor had us, you know, we were doing the whole how do people learn different techniques of teaching? How does that apply to the scripture? You know, how do you teach the Bible and all that kind of stuff? So it was classroom stuff. I mean, we were just literally looking at different methods of teaching and uh, how does that affect the learning style and all this kind of stuff. So, um, and so that was like, I don't know, a, a semester. And then uh, we, we come back and the professor on day one, now this is called a teaching lab. Okay. On day one, here's what she does. She has everybody write down. She doesn't tell us what she's doing. She says, Hey, all right, write down your favorite scripture. And then on a, on a piece of paper, and then on another piece of paper, write down, uh, the age group you normally teach. Okay. So I don't remember what I wrote down, but I'll just I'll just say, just for sake of conversation, I'll just say John 3.16, okay? John 3.16, uh, and then I wrote down adults, okay? So she said, put it in a hat. So everybody put it in a hat. She mixed it all up. She said, all right, grab, uh, you know, she well, actually had two hats or two bowls, one with the scripture, one with the age group. She said, all right, reach it. She said, reach in there. 
pulled a piece of paper out, pulled out a piece of paper. It wasn't John 3, 16. Somebody wrote down Psalm 23. Okay, I got Psalm 23. So then um, I had to reach inside the hat and uh, pulled out, and it was youth. Uh, okay, so now she says, all right, now you got your you got your subject, uh, and now you got your audience, your your uh your, your, your target groups you're going to be teaching. Now, um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you have 15 minutes to come up with a lesson to teach that group. Wow. And so what she was doing, what, here's what she, she, here's what she was doing. She was, she was going to find out, are we going to be able to take all that stuff that we learned that first semester and apply it on apply it? Like, and she said, here's the deal. There are times you're going to walk into your church some Sunday school teacher is going to not be there and you're going to have to teach it. And you got 15 minutes to look it over. What are you going to do? You know, that kind of thing, you know? Right. So, uh, about, and so what I did was now, Billy, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize this. The listeners won't, but again, that could be, this could be another podcast. I immediately did the hook book looking tub. Just boom. There we go. Put together a lesson. And not only did she say you have 15 minutes, she said today, because the class was like four hours long and there's only like five or six of us in there. And uh, uh, and so uh, she says, here's what we're going to do. You got 15 minutes, figure out what you're going to teach, and then you're going to teach the class today. And so we had, uh, so we actually had to do it. And then when they evaluate, say so what you did right, what you did wrong, how you can improve it, all that kind of stuff. So what I'm saying is, is that there are times where I want to tell you, I learned more from part two than I did from part one, but I needed part one to be able to do part two, you know, the teaching lab thing. And I want to tell you, God is teaching you some things. He's preparing you. You're hearing the same things. The Bible's jumping out. You, you're listening to some good teaching. If you're going to church and then God's going to place you into an environment, into a crisis and say, okay, now let's put it to work. Okay. So now watch this. James chapter one, verse two says this. When troubles come your way, when that crisis happens, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. That's the Bible's way of saying mature. You will be perfect and complete needing nothing. So when troubles come your way, so here's what, here's, here's the lesson I'm trying to learn and is that, okay, I've got to find a way to consider this crisis season as a, as an opportunity for great joy because of what it's going to produce in me and possibly Pam and possibly my, uh, my children. Okay. Great. So, um, so what I'm saying is this is really about a matter of perspective. And I, I know what I'm saying is easier said than done. Um, but I'm telling you, um, when you are in a crisis, don't hit the woe is me victim thing. Hit the, okay, God, what do you teach me? What do I, what have you been teaching me that I need to apply? This is an opportunity to show that I'm learning. And I, so, uh, yeah. Well, I've got a question. Why do we find that? so terribly difficult to implement you know so I, I i'm sitting here and i'm as i'm listening to you say this i think to myself you know imagine the positive change if we could just shift our perspective to that verse and really implement that in our life why is it why is it that's 
you know, because I imagine the listeners, there's going to be a lot of listeners that go, yes, I agree with that. But I find that so difficult. What is it about that and that mentality and that paradigm shift? Why is that so difficult for us to implement? Do you think? Oh, I have an answer. Uh, yeah, this, yeah, this is not something I'm shooting from the hip. I mean, I've been thinking sure. about this for a while. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and now uh, in the Stopship Group, you've heard the answer, but not in this context. All right. Okay. <clears throat> I think the reason why it is so difficult for us to do the James chapter one, verse two, okay, approach to trouble and crisis events and crisis season is because we do not know how to die to ourselves. We are so consumed with our happiness and comfort that we don't think our first thought is happiness, comfort, and peace. That's the first thought instead of growth, character, and development, development, and becoming more like Christ. Okay. So, and if we respond through, our selfishness about our own comfort, then it's going to be hard to shift from thinking comfort to character development. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, okay, let's go back to, you know, you and I are guys, we like to do sports talk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, (laughs) um, it's like, okay. It's like the, uh, um, it's like the this the difference. Okay, so okay, all right, y'all heard me talk about playing football and basketball. Okay, and, and so anyway, there are guys on the team that literally they are there for recognition and just trying to look cool. I mean, you're talking high school, middle school. Okay, uh, they don't want to run. They don't want to do sprints. They don't want to do the weights. They don't want to get hit. They don't want to hit anybody. They just want the shirt. Okay. They want the pads. They want to be able to have their picture made with the team and, and, you know, by association, try to be cool or whatever. So what I'm saying is there are some Christians who they, they, they want the shirt. They want all the perks, but what they don't want to do is they don't want the coach says, get up and let's run and let's do the sprints. They don't want to do it. Yeah. That's that's not the fun part for sure. Now here's the, and here, and I want to tell you, here is the difference between I'm telling you, here's the difference between a winning team and a losing team. The winning team, when they this sounds strange, okay? They look forward to training because they know they're going to get better. Okay. When you have a winning mindset, you will do whatever it takes. Your your perspective about the weight room, about the sprints, about the bleachers, about all that stuff is completely different because you don't see it as inconvenience. You see it as a way to win. You know what I'm saying? And so whenever trials and troubles come your way, as a Christian, if you've got a winning perspective, you've got a, a, a more than a conqueror mindset, what you're seeing is that this is an opportunity for great joy because I'm about to get better. You know what I'm saying? And so and I, this is a complete paradigm shift. I think for a lot of Christians, because we're, we're just, we're, we just don't know how to die to ourselves and be able to be dis have discomfort for a while in order to be stronger, longer. Does that make sense? I would, I would agree with that. You know, the, uh, the growth portion of yourself, you know, it's, it's just like going to the gym and, and working out muscles and stuff like that. You know, there's, there's a certain amount of pain and it, I, you know, it, it is, it is strange to me that we always turn away from the pain associated with growth. 
you know, we, you know, for, for years in my life, <laughs> I always wanted all of the, all of the recognition, all of, all of those things, but I never wanted to do the work, right. you know, and it, and it still, it seems odd to me, uh, why I was always so willing to turn away from that, the work portion of that, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, it is. And so, but it, it comes down to dying because, you know, for athletes, uh, somewhere along the way, they learn how to die to themselves in a, in a physical way. What I mean by that is they, they've learned how to sacrifice that time and sacrifice that discomfort. And they now accept, you know, the, the discomfort that exercise feels, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and they look forward to the, they look forward to the pain afterwards because they know that pain represents growth. Yes. Right. Um, Absolutely. And it comes to, and now for the Christian, it comes down to dying to self. And when I, okay, so for me, <clears throat> um, along this journey, uh, you know, I, I had to learn to die to self when it came to adopting the children. I mean, I just didn't want to do it, sure. you know, later in life, you know, and I've talked about that before that was hard, but now it's like, Man, yeah, I love it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, uh, I would do it again. I don't mean adopt a third one. I'm just saying I, I would do. I go back and do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, know, let's but, not get crazy here. Yeah, let's not get crazy here. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, uh, and then uh, you know when Pam got leukemia, um, I end up having to you know uh, die to myself uh, in the sense at, to the our life, my lifestyle because. Now I didn't have a healthy wife, I had a sick wife and she was getting sick before that. But, and I've mentioned that single dad lifestyle, the single parent lifestyle. Well, that kicked in and, uh, and there's a grieving process with all of this, you know? Um, and then I had to learn how to, you know, again, I mean, I, I won't say these statements, but they're just loaded, uh, dying to self when it came to loving a sick wife, when your spouse is, and I don't mean cold or flu, I'm talking long-term illness and uh it's uh she's not the same person you know when you know she's been sick for so long she's i mean she is not the person i married you know i mean now we all change and I, i'm not talking about that i'm not talking about just getting older and changing all that stuff you know I, and you matured and and so uh she's still a very lovely person but i mean you have to die to self and say okay how, how do i love you know, because Pam and I, we made a vow, you know, it said something like in sickness and in health. Yes, sir. All right. And most people think that sickness means, you know, colds and flus. And no, <laughs> I mean, it means that, but it also means this kind of stuff, leukemia. I mean, that's, you know, so you get, you got to doubt yourself on that. And, um, uh, Pam asked me about, you know, her dad moving in with hospice and her, uh, own hospice. And then, Pam asked me about her mom moving in, you know, uh, long-term, you know, be, you know to, uh, and so, <clears throat> um, you know, I had to die to self on that because I'm, I'm an introvert. I like being alone. I like thinking, you know, I like quiet. And so, yeah, I ended up having a mother-in-law, father-in-law, brother-in-law, and two children and a dog, you know, that really fits my introverted quietness. No, it sure. does not. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and we're gonna get into some areas here in a minute where i i just i'm struck i'm i mean right now i'm talking about all the stuff that god's learning it sounds like i got it all together oh no i don't I'll, I'll share some of that here in a minute and then you'll think less of me so uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and i will say this yeah and my anxiety which i do struggle with anxiety my anxiety wants to resurrect self every day 
and I'm fighting it all the time. Anxiety is anxiety wants self at the forefront. Anxiety, he, anxiety wants, wants to be in control. Anxiety wants to take over the situation. And that requires for that to happen. That requires self to be in control because you, you got to have things a certain way. Well, you talk about anxiety, want to rec- resurrect, you know, your, your, your former self and, and the grieving process, you know, one of the things, so, you know, the discipleship group was great for me because there was a lot of growth in that. And so I would say a couple of weeks ago, I was just kind of walking around and the weather was, the weather was good, but I was kind of walking around just kind of, I, I don't want to say downtrodden because that seems like a, a strong word for it, but just kind of unsettled. Right. And so I, I thought about it and I prayed about it. And I talked to some people about it. And the conclusion, at least that I came to was, is that I was kind of going through part of a grieving process in that I was, I was allowing that old portion of me to die to this new portion of me. And I felt kind of sad, you know, because in that, in those, uh, you know, that old version of me, I felt comfortable, you know, that, that was familiar to me. I felt very comfortable in that. And I really wanted to hold on to that old portion of me, even though it wasn't good for me, even though it's not necessarily what God wanted me to do. And I found myself struggling a little bit and grieving a little bit, letting that go. So I imagine, you know, like when you said each day, you know, you're, you, you want to resurrect that old version of you. You want to hold on to that. I can absolutely, uh, you know, I, I, I completely feel that in my own life too, you know, and, and it's, there is a grieving process and it's like, I think it's important for people to acknowledge that that exists and acknowledge that that's what's going on and just understand like when God's in control and he's working, you know, you're going to have to go through some of that. So yeah, that dying to self and allowing that old portion of you to kind of die away, uh, you know, it's, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. It's not all fun. You know what I'm saying? It, it's yeah, uh, yeah. It, it can be a it can be a tough thing to go through. It can, and um, you know, and it it is during a crisis that you find out who you really are. Sure, and good and bad. Yeah, and, and what you're what you really believe about God and His Word, and, and what you really think about yourself. Sure. And because everything's going to be tested. I mean, your your view of God's going to be tested. Your view of you is going to be tested. Uh, you're going to find out how selfish you are or how sacrificial you are. You're going to find out how humble you are, allowing people to help or how much you want to control. I mean, uh, you, there's a, hmm, you're going to find out you're, you're going to, yeah, all good and bad, you know? And first um, Peter chapter one, verse seven says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. That's what I want. Yes. I want it when, when it, as I go through and come out, I'm not saying perfect. It didn't say uh, you know, the, these trials will show that your faith is perfect. That's not what it said. Sure. It says that, you're, you know, it's going to show that your faith is genuine. It's real. Uh, it is in the first Peter goes on to say it is being tested as fire test and purifies gold. And purifying is a, I mean, it's not a fun process, man. It's, hot. it's a rough business. It's a rough business, you know? Um, well, all right. So, um, all right. There, okay. A couple of things I want to do before, I mean, I got, I'm looking at thinking through a bunch of stuff here, but okay. So I want to move into things that I, I think I did right. And things I did wrong or, or things I struggled with, you know? And so this is kind of just, this is kind of a melting pot of thoughts. That I didn't know what to do with. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and just some observations. Okay. That about me that bother me. 
Okay. And I, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest about some stuff that uh, hopefully it'll help you be honest about some stuff with yourself. So, um, okay. So let's start with an easy one. First of all, I right now, currently, okay. As we're making this podcast today, yesterday, tomorrow, last week, you know, that kind of thing. All right. So right now in, I'm finding that in this season, this crisis season, I am less patient. I just don't have, I'm normally a very patient person. Okay. But on the inside now, it may not come out, but I can tell on the inside, man, it's like, you know, and this is with things. This is with, this is with my kids. This is with my dog. This is with my mother-in-law. This is with Pam. This is with me. This is with work. It does. It doesn't matter. I'm finding that, but I find that I am less patient. I feel the pressure of everything I have to do and I don't have time to mess around. And now do I goof around? Obviously, you know what I'm saying? You don't mean, but at the same time, I'm, I, I'm always moving forward. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And, um, trying to get some stuff done now that's my personality but i've known that uh i've noticed that in the last few months this impatient thing has grown but however uh i do think that when this thing is over i think because of pushing the envelope on my patience with some stuff that when this season of, of crisis is over i think i'll find myself more patient than i used to be because the pressure has dropped will have dropped you follow what i'm saying well, and then yeah, and then you'll you'll have the perspective. You know, oftentimes we get anxious and and things are crisis events, uh, and oftentimes perspective, being able to look back what we've gone through, we can kind of judge our current situation against those those previous encounters and previous experiences, and say okay, and maybe be a little more patient in that moving forward. Right. So yeah, I would imagine that right now this season that you're going through you know, let's say two years from now, you've got something that comes up and you're able to kind of look back and say, okay, here were some of the experiences that I had. And, you know, you'll, I, I don't know, it might be one of those things where, hey, I was tested in this area and I succeeded so I can absolutely move through this, you know, and be better in this spot. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I, I kind of compare it to, all right. So, you know, I mentioned a while ago, I had, I have six children you know, ages three to 31. And so uh, four biological, two adopted. So the four biological, they're all grown up, moved out. And so, uh, so Pam and I, we've already gone through raising kids. Okay. So the second time around with the three and a six year old, which we both got them when they were both about 17 months old. Um, uh, what I learned with the first four, you know, of what it, has changed on how I raised the, these, these next two. Cause there are, there are things that I cared about when I was 28 raising kids. I, I don't care a thing about today. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not a big deal. <laughs> Not a big deal. They will grow out of that. It's okay, sure. Jeff, you can back off of this is not a big deal. And, and, uh, and my kids who were watching me raise these, Two younger ones, they're saying, they said, Dad, you wouldn't, you'd never let us do that. That's eh, not a big deal, you know? Well, so. and I'll be honest with you, with your, uh, with your two little ones, I find myself, uh, to be much more patient. You know, my, my own children look at how I interact with your two kids and they go, Man, Dad, you know, you, 
you wouldn't let us do that. And it's like, <laughs> ah, it's not a big deal. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the, the two younger ones, uh, man, they're not only just helping you, Jeff, they're, yeah. they're, they're helping me and everybody else around. So yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from there. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. Impatience. Okay. There I'm, I'm, I, I find myself struggling with that more or I, should I, or maybe I should say I'm struggling with patience, not impatience. Okay. So here's what I want to do. I want to, sh- I want to shift gears and I, I want to talk a little bit about misophonia. Cause remember we're talking about things I've done, right. Things I've done wrong or things I'm struggling with and just observations about, you know, me through this process. Um, all right. So, uh, I struggle with a thing called misophonia and it is, uh, and it has gotten worse. So misophonia is this misophonia is being annoyed by normal everyday sounds. All right. Now what I'm about to tell you are the things that, that I've noticed now they've always annoyed me, but they've got, but they annoy me more now. And I think it has something to do with just being tired, being under a lot more pressure, a lot more stress, all that kind of stuff, because it's just highlight. Okay. So for example, uh, <clears throat> now, okay. I, I feel reluctant to share this because this is where, this is the kind of stuff you think, oh man, that dude's crazy. He's messed up. <laughs> sure. You know, he just needs to get over it. <laughs> well, but if you got misophonia, it, there's, there's not a switch you can flip with this. Okay. But misophonia produces anxiety. Misophonia is not anxiety. It's just something that produces it. Okay. So okay. it's, and it's an internal source of anxiety. So here you go. Misophonia. Misophonia is, uh, for me, shows itself like this. Somebody's in the kitchen and they're whistling. I got to leave. That whistling's driving me nuts. Really? Yep. Uh, That's they're interesting. Hum- yeah. Or they're humming. Or they're singing, and I it, it I I either got to put earplugs in, which I had, or leave the or leave or leave where I cannot hear them anymore. Uh, misophonia shows up for me like this: I am reaching into a uh, like a package of sandwich meat. That crinkling noise, that noise the sandwich bag makes, that package, yeah, uh, irritates me. You're saying, Jeff, you're just an angry person. No, no, I'm not. I mean, if you know me, you know, I'm not like this angry person, but it's, uh, yeah, again, misophonia is being annoyed. And and now again, those who study this stuff, this is what they say. It is a mysterious condition that we do not understand now. And it can, some people are annoyed. Okay. And I am sound sensitive, meaning, uh, if you want to talk to me, you're going to have to turn the TV off or mute it. Sure. I'm the same way. Yeah. And so, uh, I don't like driving with the music in the car. I don't want music playing unless we're not going to talk because I, 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 uh, the noise of the, of the radio, whether it's talk radio or music or whatever, it doesn't matter. I I, I can't, uh, I can't talk with you. I can't talk with you. Let let me explore that just for a moment. So Uh just to, just kind of kind of continue that thought. So I find myself and and this may be that or, or not at all, but, uh, I find myself I can listen to music fine in the vehicle, but if I end up in a place with a lot of heavy traffic or something that I've got to concentrate, I've got to turn the music down. Are you similar in that respect? Or oh yeah, you- absolutely. Yeah. If I have to, if I'm like driving, say downtown St. Louis or something like that in areas right. I'm not familiar with. Um, yeah, I will, uh, 
I'll have to, I'll tell the kids, kids don't talk to me. And sure. I, I got to turn. Now they can have their iPads on for some reason that doesn't bother me because misophonia is extremely selective. It sounds like it. Okay. And, and again, it's a mysterious condition. And uh, for, for example, uh, like if, okay, so I have a habit. Now this doesn't bother me. And if somebody else does, it doesn't bother me. I have a habit of like taking a pen and clicking the top of it over and over again. Cause I'm fidgety. I'm you know? Same way. Yeah. Uh, some, that sound drives some people nuts. Well, that's misophonia. Hmm. Okay. So, um, uh, and I'm a loud breather. Okay. I'm a loud breather. Okay. <laughs> that drives some people nuts. Misophonia. Sure. Okay. But it doesn't, it doesn't bother some people, but it bothers other people. So, all right. So what I'm saying is, is that I'll just give you some examples. Oh, uh, sure. okay. I mean, I'm I'm just showing my, my craziness here. Um, like, uh, if I'm like at home, okay. So, uh, uh, the sound of certain shoes on the tile floors bother me. Sure. The way they sound walking across that, like in the kitchen, you know, or where, or we have a hallway that has tile on it or, or down that particular hallway. And so, uh, uh, but I, I, I'm, so case in point, I noticed the old oh, couple of weeks ago, I was in the living room. We have this table there and I was in the, I don't call it dining room. It's more like a kid's art and toy section of our living room kind of thing. <laughs> so anyway. Sounds uh, like a Walmart uh, section. Uh, uh, yeah. Originally it's supposed to be like a dining room, but that's not sure. what it is. So anyway, uh dining area, but uh, anyway, so I'm sitting at the table, got my computer and I'm doing some stuff. It's on the weekend and uh, kids are doing their things and, uh, the kids playing that, that sound of kids playing don't bother me. Okay. That, I mean, again, very selective, but I'm sitting there and I'm typing on something and, um, uh, my precious mother-in-law is, you know, she's cleaning the kitchen or whatever. And she's in the kitchen, but she has these certain shoes on as clippity clop, clippity clop on the tile in the, in the, cause we have hard tile in, in the, mm -hmm. and, uh, I literally got up, went to my bedroom, got my earplugs, came back because I could not focus with that clippity clop noise. Now I don't wow. now, now. So, all right. So that's misophonia. But I, what I'm saying is, is that that has, that has, that has become more hyper is what I'm saying. You know? Sure. Uh, um, so that's something I've noticed about me. All right. Uh, which I don't like. Um, and if you want to, uh, by the way, if you want to do more research on misophonia, if you are that way, um, or if you know somebody that way that talks about sound a lot, you need to turn that down. That's too loud. Quit making that noise. If they got, if they're if they're if they're a person who says, "Quit making that noise. Quit doing that over and over. Quit clicking that pen. Quit doing whatever." You know, what I'm saying? quit tapping that pencil on the table. Well, they may be struggling with misophonia, and uh, and they can't flip a switch. And it's not like you can just go, "Oh, that doesn't bother me anymore." Okay. Oh, I wish it was that easy. Yeah, right. So it's a mysterious condition. So I found that that has that has uh, intensified, uh, which is weird, and I I don't like that about me because uh, and my wife says when I'm when I'm been talking about this stuff with Pam, she'll say, you know, it must be really hard to be you. I go, yes. So you need to be, <laughs> and I would say yes. Is that why you need to be more patient with me? Because it's about me in my sure. <laughs> well, I, you know, I tell my wife, you know, all the time, and I tell people that I talk to, you know, with uh, different things, you know. So over the years, I've, uh, I, 
been diagnosed with PTSD just from some some things I've seen. And it's like no one chooses to struggle with those things. And no. I and most people that I've ever talked to, if they could shut that switch off, they would gladly do that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's uh, we can't help what bothers us. What we could do is do our best to be patient with that. But, yeah, I mean, it, it would be nice if there was a switch we could just flip off. And uh, I don't have a I don't have a word for what I'm about to describe, but here's something else. Okay, I've noticed about me again. I'm, I'm sharing all this stuff just being transparent, just so that hopefully other people won't feel as so weird. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people can identify with with all the things that you're yeah, saying, and right. I, I really think it's important that you share them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, all right. So, um. Uh, okay, so Carol, my mother-in-law, you know, she lives here, and uh, we have a good relationship. So, uh, and she, she was going to Spain for six weeks, and so I mean, I was in charge of everything, and she she helps with you know the like kitchen and a bunch of other stuff, you know, when she can, and so she does a great job doing the dishes, you know, keeping the kitchen clean, all that stuff. But uh, where I'm headed with this is that, okay, while she was gone, you know, I you know I was it, I did it all. Okay, so I got this system rhythm down you know you know the way things the way i like them you know what i'm saying sure. and it made sense to me so she comes back and she's trying to take over the dishes again and um so uh hang on here i've got a <laughs> my computer's doing weird things in front of me so anyway uh, uh so i've got this uh thing where uh, I noticed about myself that this has never bothered me, but it, it bothers me now. And uh, again, um, you know, I think when things calm down, I, I don't think it'll bother me much. Uh, okay. So just little things like the, okay. The dishwasher. Uh, so I have a certain way things go into the dishwasher. Certain things go on top, certain things on the bottom, the forks, knives go in this little rack. They go in a certain way, you know, that kind of thing. Well, hers is completely different. And sure. I, and I, and, and the system is you have the, uh, you know, she tries to have the dishwasher empty. And so you can just, you just, whenever you have a dirty dish, you put it in the dishwasher. Okay. And that was my system beforehand. But what I found was that every time I opened the dishwasher to put a dirty dish in, I found, had this weird compulsion to rearrange the dishwasher. You know what I'm saying? To put things where they need to be. Sure. Okay. See, that's weird. Well, you know, I mean, that's very clearly, I mean, I, I'm no, I'm no expert or anything. That's very clearly trying to make sense of the chaos. Yeah. You know, as, as things are more out of control around you uh, and things that you can't do anything about, we, we tend to become hyper-focused on the things we can control. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly what's happening. So, sure. uh, so what I had to do was, uh, you know, I, I, I don't open the dishwasher. I just put them in the sink. Well, but she, that's, that's you know. actually very, that, I mean, that that's a very, very good what you know, because you can't help but feel that compulsion. I right. mean, that, that's not something you can switch on and off. So instead of being confronted with that compulsion, you're doing something to, to try to mitigate that and not have that be part of, yeah. you know, your, your day to day. Good, good on you. Yeah. So, and I, but here's the deal. The inner critic is okay. So this is where it gets, this is weird. My inner critic says, Jeff, you're lazy. You ought to put that thing in the dishwasher. Don't worry about all this other stuff. I mean, I hear, I hear the right, but the inner critic says, no doubt, you know, 
you're putting more work on your mother-in-law, blah, blah, blah. You know, follow what I'm saying because sure. you're a selfish individual. So anyway, but uh, that's what, but see, that's what crisis season does. And you got to be able to recognize the stuff and be able to deal with it in a, in a healthy way. Yes. Uh, um, now, uh, you know, just a couple of more minutes here. Uh, I, there is something weird that's happened. And I, I, this is a little bit different that I've, I've noticed that I have difficulty doing sometimes, and that is answering people's questions. And what I mean by that is two questions in particular. They will ask, how how's Pam doing? Okay, so, and on the inside, because I'm a detailed individual, on the inside, I immediately have to start evaluating, do they want the... You know, she's pretty good. She's, you know, she's on track. That's all. Yeah. You know, doctors, uh, you know, they, they say she's on track with everything. Oh, that's great. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for asking. You know, that kind of thing. Or do they want, okay, she's, uh, she's on track, but she's, they're, they're watching this and she's struggling with that. And this is getting better, but, mm, you know, we, we're not sure about the, you know, this and that and all, 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 you know, all these other little, I don't, I, I just call them, challenges because they're not really complications but sure. um there's just they're just issues you know what i'm saying so sure. uh i struggle with answering that question especially when she wasn't doing re- when she was doing really bad and people would ask and there was like a ton of information i could have gave them right now it's pr- now right now it's easy because I mean, yeah she's doing pretty good she feels better than she has in a in a while and you know in her context and so um the second question I find myself struggling with is how are you doing? Yes. Okay. It is easier for me to answer how's Pam doing, but we are all conditioned to answer. How are you doing by saying what can you guess? Fine. Yeah. Oh, doing pretty good. Fine. We're just moving right along. All right. So why do you think that is? Cause we, I think, Okay, this is just me. Uh, I think it's because of, okay, for me, I think it's due to ignorance. And what I mean by that is I don't know how much you care. If if I think you're just curious, then I'm going to, uh, then about me. Yeah, I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm a little tired, but I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, but if I think you really care and you're asking, how are you doing? And you want to hear, then I, then I'll be, I'll find myself being much more, I don't want to say more honest. That's not right. More thorough in my answer. And so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the, I struggle with evaluating how to answer that question when people ask me that. Well, and you know, I, that must be exhausting to try to, put your finger on someone else's intent when they ask you that question. It is because and then also is, is there a level of vulnerability? Is it easier for you to discuss how Pam is doing than you? Because if you're struggling with something that makes you vulnerable. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Because I mean, I don't know how many times I've said through these, three parts of this series. Uh, I'm not, you know, okay. I'm sharing this cause I don't want anybody to think uh, I'm not 
looking for pity or sympathy or anything. That. Yeah. Well, that's because uh, I'm conscious about what other people are thinking about me and my motives sure. and my intent. And so when people ask of how am I doing during the season, you know, uh, depending on the context of where I am and who it is, uh, sure. you know, it, the answer stays the same. It's just one's more very generic and the other one, uh, is, uh, much more detailed and, and here, here. Okay. So I'm, I'm just gonna, for those who struggle with this, if you're going through a season crisis, how do you, how do you answer it? Well, if I think they're just sort of, if the question is more about letting me know they're thinking about me, that's it. Okay. So say for example, at church or I run into them at Walmart. Okay. Obviously we're in a public place. Stuff's going on. So Jeff, hey man, how you doing? And I will, I will start by saying, uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, kids doing good. You know, uh, we're getting things done. Uh, I find myself a little tired. That is my generic answer. And for most people that seems to suffice. Sure. Okay. Um, depending on what's going on and what's been happening, you know, somebody says, Jeff, how are you doing? I will go much deeper into that answer. And it usually sounds, or I should say it usually has sounded something like the first thing in my mouth is I'm tired. I've heard that answer. Yes. I, yes. uh, I want to be able to sit and just watch the grass grow. <laughs> I want sure. to, I, I want, I want to go fishing and not have to worry about the 25 things I need to be doing like I used to do, you know, I, I want a healthy wife, you know, and I feel like I'm not doing enough. I'm struggling with that inner critic. So, you know, it just, and then all of a sudden it goes to an uncomfortable place for the other person. <laughs> right. You're looking at the other person <laughs> who's kind of got blinders on. Going, going like, uh, Ow. what do I do with this? You know? Yeah. How so, do I respond to that? Right now, normally, I'm going to tell you, normally I don't answer that way, but there's been a few sure. times where at the right time, right person, they'll ask. Um, and, and and then there's been a couple of times where uh, now all the people who have their inner critic, they're going to think it's them. And uh, no, it's not. But sure. uh, but except for that one person. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but there's this there was this one person I ran into and they they literally uh, were walking past me and said, how are you doing? And they know the whole story. Sure. And. And as they were asking the question, they didn't even stop walking. <laughs> and, I, and I just went, doing pretty good, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't didn't know. have anything to talk about. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I'm assuming you really didn't want to know. <laughs> right. I, mean, I, I mean, you didn't know what to say. Instead of saying, hey, good, you know, hey, Jeff, as, you know, whatever. But anyway, so, uh, but I, I found, I finally that I, I struggle with how's Pam doing and how are you doing? Because I, I, I do have this, uh, the thing I want to be, I want to be honest, but there's a certain level of transparency. And there are times where it's kind of weird. I'll, they'll ask how Pam's doing and I'll start giving an update, especially when she had a lot going on. I'll give an update and I immediately realize they don't want to know all this. Yeah. And I will just like almost stop in the middle of a sentence and I'll go, you know what? But she's pretty good. You know, <laughs> you know the doctor says she's doing pretty good and, and it's over, you know? And as soon as I, I read the body language, see whatever it is, facial expression, whatever's going on. And if I interpreted that is okay, that is not what they were asking. 
you know, and I'm okay with that. I just, it's just sure. me evaluating with what, what level of information, what they want. And so, uh, and I think other people struggle with some of that stuff as well. Oh, no doubt. I think, uh, yeah, I think those, yeah, those types of questions, those types of questions that, uh, you know, can be painful to talk about and also make you vulnerable. Right. Um, man, that's a, that's a tricky business, you know, out in the world today. I mean, I, I, I imagine, yeah. I, so I'd never really thought about it too much. You know, I, I did, I, I think at the end of the last podcast, um, you know, we kind of discussed that question, you know, how's, how's Pam doing and, and, you know, and whether or not you get tired of answering that question or, or whether or not you get tired of answering the question, how you're doing, you know, I guess I never really thought about the complexity of those questions. Uh, and not just for you, you know, cause obviously you've made it clear. This is not just all about you. This is just an object lesson, you know, for other people, but, uh, but yeah, I've never really considered the complexity of those real simple questions. You know, when you're talking to, to somebody in a crisis event, I mean, that's, that's good to, to think about, you know, it's like, not only do you have to think about your responses, but, you know, we, we, we as people probably need to do a better job of realizing how complex that simple question actually can be, you know? Well, so I, th I think that's good for the listeners. Yeah. And, and here's what it's done for me. Now I'm not perfect with this, but here's what's done sure. for me. I don't ask anybody how they're doing anymore unless I mean it. Unless I'm, yes. I'm unless, unless I'm ready to hear what they got to say. Sure. Okay. And so what I do is I've replaced it with, man, it's good to see you. What's been going on, you know, and they can tell me whatever, yeah. but, but how are you doing? So, and this is why, because there've been, a, there's been some people who will literally, they will like in the discipleship group, sometimes after church or whatever, they'll put them outside and they say, Hey, I want to, I want, they say, I want to hear from you. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and now I, I realize the tone of the voice, what they're saying. They want to hear. And so I, so I'm, I lay it all, I put it all on the table. And sure. so that happened last Sunday, had a uh, person come up to me and, and, uh, who, and they began the question by, they began the whole discussion with, Hey, look, I'm sure you get asked about Pam all the time. And I said, yeah, I do. And they said, I'm not asking about her. I'm asking about you. Yeah. Well, they made it very clear what they were, you know, yeah. you, you probably didn't have much evaluation time trying to figure out what they wanted to know. You yeah. They just started talking. Yeah. And so I did, I just, you know, cause you know, I don't, I'm at the point now where I can, if a person wants to hear it, I can pretty much open up, you know what I'm saying? And sure. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not, I don't try to hide as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see here. Uh, we need to wrap this thing up. <clears throat> Well, okay. So since this is the last, you know, part of this little series here, I do feel like this has made me a deeper person and is making me a more serious person about the, I don't, I don't mean somber, serious, not fun. Don't laugh because, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I still laugh, you know, I still, I'm still a goofball, you know, I mean, that's just who I am. But, uh, I find that the serious things in life are now more serious to me, you know, Absolutely. Um, things that were important are now more important. And so, and that's what I mean by deepening. I, I feel deeper because of this, uh, that refining process has gotten some shallowness out of me that needed to go. Um, and also some phoniness needed to go 
or that mask needed to go. Uh, it also has made me less fearful. Because the way I've seen God provide uh, through this process. Now, I, I thought I trusted God, but just ha- in the way that God has provided through this, I cannot imagine not trusting him later when something, if something else like this happens. Amen. You know what I'm saying? So my, my, I feel like I'm less fearful and more, I have more faith because of this, because of what he's seen. I've seen him keep his promises. Um, and, um, there's a part of me that's interested to see what comes out of this crisis season of our life. Meaning, um, you know, when this is all said and done, what, how's God going to use this? And it's more than just making Jeff and Pam, you know, deeper people. That's part of it. But I mean, God doesn't transform us and change us just for us. Okay. Oh, no doubt. Okay. So I'm interested to see how he uses this. Um, in people's lives. Um, and, and I think in some ways I may not be able to recognize it. And it's not like I'm going out there looking for it, but it'll be interesting to be able to look back, say, you know, if I'm still alive, 10, 15, 20 years from now, look back and say, wow, that's, that's what that was about. And, um, I did not see that in the middle of it, but I see it looking back on it. So, so I, So with where you're at right now, what do you think right now is the biggest lesson, which could be a terribly difficult question. I I understand that. But right now, if, if you could take all of this, and again, you're still in the crisis season, but if you could take all this and you could whittle it down to one singular point, uh, your biggest takeaway, what do you think that is right now? Okay, this uh, I've got an answer for you, and it's so simple that it, it's not going to sound profound, but when you unpack it, it is. And uh, God actually cares. Amen. Because here's the deal: a lot of people, including myself, you know, we go through our life, man. God, I'm trusting you, but I don't think you care. I know you love me, but I don't I don't know if you're really care or interested in me. But uh through all the things I've shared and other things I haven't, um, I see his compassion and care. And I, I don't mean fluff stuff. There, I mean there are Christians who say, Oh God, he cares and you know that he really does, and they'll come up with stuff, but it's I mean, they're just saying the right things. Sure. And um, but I am now able to say the right things. And I can back it up. Amen. Okay. I can say, Hey, God cares. And I want to tell you how he did it. Amen. So I mean, I mean, again, it doesn't sound pro. I mean, that's very elementary, but, uh, but yet profound because, you know, if once you think God actually, I mean, it's one thing to know God cares, but then experientially know yes. that he cares. Okay. But, and here's the thing you don't, you can okay. I don't think you can experience the compassion and the kindness, and uh, the grace and the mercy and the love of God uh, 
without going through a valley. Because that's where you experience him picking you up. That's where you experience him providing for you. That's when you don't do things the way, you know, you, uh, you, you, you believe one thing, but then you behave another way. And, but yet God still shows up even with your weaknesses and fallacies and all the other kind of stuff, you know? Well, and the truth is, is, you know, as we kind of go through these things and you get that perspective, you know, that verse that you mentioned earlier, um, you know, about looking at these events as opportunities for growth, you know, once you've kind of gone through and you've got that perspective, it can really change your perspective, you know, on looking at these events in your life as opportunities for growth. It's kind of funny how the different verses in the Bible, man, they go together. They go together perfectly. You know, we, we're in a constant state of wondering and going through and maybe not trusting 100%, but you know, you mentioned just a moment ago that it seemed very elementary, you know, the, it wasn't, it didn't seem very profound, but it's just incredible to me how God shows up every time as he said he was going to, not only does he do that every single time, he's also written it all down. And and we're, we're in this constant search for answers. And sometimes it's just as simple as opening up the Bible and looking and seeing what the answer really is and having full faith and trust. Uh, that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And it's, it's, it's just, it's so incredible to me when somebody goes, you know, God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And let me tell you exactly how, you right. know, it's just, it, and and it's all around us all the time. And do we have, do we have the desire to see really what God is doing in our lives? And I, I think that's very important. Yep. Hmm. All right. Well, all right, Billy. So we've been going over an hour. We need to wrap this up. And, uh, man, I appreciate you joining me on this and I appreciate those who've been listening to go through this and just, you know, hearing all my junk and, um, uh, hopefully this has been a blessing to you and give you some, some serious food for thought and giving you hope, giving you direction. And, uh, for those who are listening, uh, you know, don't give up, um, stay faithful. Uh, and when you do stumble, just get back up. Uh, you know, the Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but he will always rise again. So, um, I just want to encourage you to realize that God cares about you. He knew this was going to happen. He prepared you for it. He's going to provide in it. And then he's going to use you afterwards. And so, uh, he, his plan is bigger than you. Uh, his purpose is bigger than you, but it involves you. And so you are made for a purpose. You're made with intentionality. You're not an accident. Um, you're not a second thought. Uh, and God is wanting to uh, do something in your life that you can't even imagine, but you need it. And it's, and it, will it be painful? Yes. Will it hurt? Yes. Will it be sacrificed? You have to die to yourself and do a lot of things that are uncomfortable. Yes. Um, but on the other side of it, you will be, you know, like gold that's been refined by fire and you'll be able to reflect the image of Christ even much more. So, all right, uh, Billy, thank you so much, uh, until next time. Oh, by the way, I'm excited about our next podcast. I don't have time to get into it about what it's about, but man, I am pumped about it. It's a lot different than what we've been talking about here, but, um, it's something every single believer, uh, struggles with and, but, uh, we're going to talk about that next time. All right, guys, catch you later.
Thank you for listening. This has been Conversations. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to click subscribe and leave us a great review. And to find out more about Genesis Church, please visit www.genesisbegins.com.